0: Shall we begin by praying together? Thank you, Father, that we can um, reflect upon your word at this time. We thank you for its richness and the beauty of the one that it is, who is at the center of it, the Lord Jesus Christ, the very center. May he be the center of our lives and may your word take lodging in our hearts so that it affects how we live and how we think and how we speak, how we act. And may we be able to show the love of Christ and have the love of Christ and exhibit the love of Christ in our lives. In his name we pray, amen. Last week, John Wells spoke about propitiation and that being the the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ in his sacrifice exhausted all of the wrath of God that could be Directed and should be directed at you and at me at us Because of our sin There is no wrath left The Lord Jesus Christ has taken all of it and is therefore the complete propitiation for our sins and This morning. I want us to think about the idea of having standing obviously i would be speaking about something to do with god having standing with god the idea of standing is interesting Um, on this plane of things on this earthly plane the idea of having standing is often associated with the courtroom you know there are a lot of people in a courtroom there is a plaintiff There is a defendant in a civil case. In a criminal case, the defendant is being prosecuted by the crown. There are witnesses, there may be expert witnesses, and there are lawyers. And There may be an audience of interested people. Clearly, the defendant has a tremendous stake in the outcome. But do you know, just because you have a stake in the matter at hand does not give you unlimited standing in that courtroom. I like to think of standing as a, as a literal plane here today and also as a, as a, in a figurative way as a concept, as a kind of right. Partway through a trial, if you or I, you know, we were taking it all in and the, the gears are turning up here and we, we said excuse me uh, I think that the reason he did that can you imagine the reaction of the judge silence silence sit down you have no standing in this courtroom not everyone has the right to speak, and the people who, have, who speak, are they speak when they are spoken to. When they are spoken to and under oath. The lawyers have the right to speak for the plaintiff and the defendant. They have standing in the judge's courtroom. It is his courtroom. You shall not be in contempt of the court, of the crown, of, of this judge's courtroom. No. And sometimes the expert witnesses know quite a bit more about the subject at hand in a civil case than um, the other people in the room. There is in fact often with the expert witnesses a sense of frustration as they listen to a lawyer being led down a rabbit trail that is completely irrelevant and technically wrong. But he can't open his mouth because he can only speak when spoken to. He doesn't have that kind of standing, even though he knows a lot about this engineering problem. Ime's boss was just in Mexico called to be an expert expert witness. Standing. What is your standing? As I reflected upon this, I reflected upon um, examples of planes, of surfaces, where... Men have stood in relation to God we might ask these questions and I want to think I want you to keep these questions in the in the back of your mind as I walk you through through four uh, three historical examples and one which is a future state with regard to standing on a plane a certain plane right to be present right to speak that's better than right to be present right to fellowship oh that's a that's another that's another figurative plane altogether i would suggest and maybe in the context of fellowship there can be joy and the expression of joy that's far more than the mere right to be present it's more than the right to speak the right to Joyfully fellowship in that future state. We will consider that. It's a wonderful thing to think about. My examples one, two, three, four, not in equal uh, uh, time spent this morning. Moses, when he was called in Exodus 3, the 70 elders taken up there onto a plain in Exodus 24. The high priest that we heard about last week mentioned, for example, in Deuteronomy 32 in terms of the context of the plane or surface, if you will, in question. And finally, Revelation 4 and 5, believers in glory. That's a whole other plane. And so we can look at first Moses and he being called by God. It is the famous account, the historical account, of the burning bush. And as you know, as it says there in verse 3, the bush is not burnt, but it's on fire. Moses noticed this, and he was drawn to come to go and see it. And it says there, as you can see in the middle of the screen, God called him out of the midst of that burning bush. And Moses, with trepidation, but great curiosity, said, Here am I. God said, Draw nigh. He was 80 years old. This had been 80 years in preparation that a man would Feel and know and see that call of God and have that kind of God-given curiosity. He didn't see much and think much about God in Pharaoh's court, a very pagan place. But he'd left it 40 years ago. He was a shepherd. And he'd come to that place And God knew where he was in his soul and said, come here. I will too. I will. But Wait. The ground where you're standing on this mountain is holy. Take off your shoes. I'm sure he, he quickly kicked his sandals off and went forward with thrill and fear, both in his soul, as God called him. I wonder if he was half expecting this. We don't know. But he went forward, I believe, with a combination of fear and thrill. And he got closer and he hid his face. I wonder why God said, Take your shoes off. Have you ever wondered that? I I can't give you a definitive answer, but I would suggest this God's desire is for fellowship is for you and i to enjoy fellowship with him there's not to be anything human of human construct between us no shoes we're on the same plane this is what is known in theologic circles as a christophany it is the lord jesus christ same ground same plane bare feet come know who I am and then he announces God announces who he is I am that I am I am the self-existent one what what fear and thrill must have come into Moses heart And this is the first place, I was surprised to read as I was preparing and studying for this, Do you know this is the first place in the Bible that God says, I am holy? We would sort of take it for granted that that men would have that awareness and that God had maybe previously stated that somewhere. No, this is the first time that God says to human beings, to a man, to Moses, I am holy holy, and we are standing on the same plane. Wow, what a a thing that would have been. I wonder how he felt. I wonder what was in his heart. What a great privilege and what a great thing was happening to Moses. I think it speaks to the fact, as I say, that God wants to be and wants you to be in fellowship with him. James 4.8 says, Draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh unto you. That's a wide-open invitation. If you don't know the Lord, that even applies to you. It applies to believers. It applies also to to unbelievers. Later in life, the Pentateuch is five books written by Moses. Deuteronomy 29, Moses says this, the secret things belong to us and to our children. He knew secret things. He knew what it was like to fellowship with a holy God that had become part of his personal experience. As he reflected back on his own life, shortly thereafter he would pass away and God himself would bury Moses. As he reflected back, he said, the secret things belong to us. The enjoyment of the presence of God, an unforgettable experience. I wonder if you know anything about that. I wonder if you know anything about standing before the Lord in your heart. We sang this morning, when I stand in glory. We sang, oh, what a standing is mine. Heaven came down. Do you, do you have that? Do you know what it's like to have that standing and to have that fellowship? I hope that you do. I hope that the result of that is that you have that impetus from God's spirit to, in fact, Draw nigh unto God and to worship Him. Later in this book, we read in, in 19 of Exodus that the people hear trumpets. I'm moving to 24. Worship ye afar off, it says there. No surprise, if you go back to 19, you find that there is mention of trumpets. At the end of my message this morning, I'm going to mention trumpets again. Very different kind of trumpet. In Exodus 19, the trumpets, it says in 16 and 19, were exceeding loud. Exceeding loud. It struck tremendous fear and awe into the children of God, these trumpets on that mountain. They dare not get too close. When I read that exceeding loud, it put me in mind of an experience I had when I was about 14 years old. My friend Karim and I were hiking and exploring. We would go everywhere on our bicycles. Quite considerable distances around greater St. John's, out to Outer Cove, out to Torbay in the city down to Fort Amherst, when we we liked Fort Amherst because there were giant World War II guns there in bunkers. And in those days, we're speaking of the mid, sort of uh, early 70s, you could pretty much safely walk down these concrete steps and and, and go down through these different bunkers, and it it wasn't all that safe, but it was reasonable. Now the whole thing has deteriorated to the point that they have cordoned it all off the steps have become inclined planes there are no steps left for the most part so we can't have the public going down there and the um we got to know the area but one on one of our early visits to fort amherst we were um uh, not far from the lighthouse near the top there at the entrance to st john's harbor wandering around and suddenly there was the blast of horns that was so strong my chest vibrated we grabbed each other and jumped about two feet in the air (sighs) and we hit the ground again (sighs) and then we let go of each other and (sighs) and we turned around and we realized we're standing in front of five foghorns about this big We're about two feet away from the blast of foghorns intended to be heard by ships that are 20 miles out to sea. We're two feet away. Well, I tell you, it took a while for my heart to get back to a normal pulse rate. When the children of Israel heard those trumpets, I think their chests vibrated. I think they were struck with the awesomeness and the fear of God. And so they should have been. So they should have been. If I were to tell you, you know, we're going to think about surfaces, and if I were to ask you, where in the Bible do you get a, uh, a crystal surface, like glass? Many of you would say, t- I know, I know where. That's in, uh, that's in Revelation. There's a crystal sea mentioned in Revelation. Four, so right, you are, right, you are. If I were to then say, Is there another one? For example, in the book of Exodus, is there another crystal sea? Is there another glass surface? I think many of you would go, don't think so. Don't remember that. Oh, yes. Most interesting. Most interesting. Seventy people were taken up there, the elders of Israel, up to a glass surface. Then went up Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and seventy of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel and there was under his feet as it were paved work of sapphire stone and as it were the body of heaven in its in his clearness Wow! what a sight that must have been what an impression that must have made on their hearts a few chapters before they were quaking with fear and they saw fire and and now they're on this surface. It's like crystal. It's sapphire. It's and they have fellowship with God. Wow. Now, what happens after that? They go down. Moses stays. And you would think that these 70 people, plus Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, would say, You wouldn't believe it. What we saw up there, absolutely amazing. It thrilled our souls. This God is worthy of all worship, and we should pledge our fealty to him and obey him. And they turned around and made a golden calf and danced around it. Unbelievable. But you know what? You're not going to like this statement or maybe this comment of mine that's you and I that's how superficial we are when we see impressive things we go Wow and we walk away and does it change our life because we saw something impressive actually not necessarily at all not necessarily at all after all how many people saw Jesus perform miracles were all of them Saved? Did all of them repent and believe in Jesus, the Messiah? Some of them actually followed him around, I think, so that they might see something that um, was entertaining. I think that's a very appropriate comment for this age. We live in an entertainment-oriented age. People see everything. Does it actually benefit their souls. In fact, a lot of what you see in the 21st century damages your soul. We are very superficial. The human soul, the human nature, the sinful human nature loves to, ooh, and then oh, walk away, forget that, whatever that, was. I don't know, let's go look for another one. That's our nature. It did not cause them to follow the Lord with great fealty as we might expect, Unfortunately. I wonder what it was like up there we don't know we can't imagine it's outside of our imagination you know this place where the people of God the earthly children of God the children of Israel moved around you can read about it in numbers is described by Moses as a howling desert wilderness whoa yes absolutely a howling waste a desert desert i remember flying over the sahara looking down is this ever going to end i guess i'm going like 400 miles an hour here in this airplane on and on and on nothing and nothing and more nothing if we go down here there is there is nothing Same thing that the tabernacle was built upon. It's interesting how much detail we have about the tabernacle. This is my my third one this morning. It's interesting. You have in great detail all of the nature of the exact construction of things in blue and gold and silver, Paul would write later, fitly joined together, speaking of the body of Christ. But those same words very aptly apply to this tabernacle, set again and move again and again in the desert, fitly joined together, silver for redemption, gold for the divine, blue for the heavenly, all speaking of redemption, of heaven, of the coming Redeemer and of God. And you know what it was plopped down on every single time as they went through that 40 years in the wilderness? Sand and sand and more sand. It reminds me of a number of things. It reminds me of the Lord Jesus Christ. John was describing the work of the high priest at Yom Kippur last week. Moving around on that sand. Typifying the future Redeemer. Things of immense, infinite value. The blood of Christ is what it would speak of. Infinite value, the blood of Christ. What are you walking on? Sand. Lifeless, worthless, same thing, sand, where we pitched last time. The Lord Jesus came and he walked on this earth. And the scripture tells us, as believers, that we are in the world but not of the world our feet are on the sand but when we think about that sand we should remember redemption and we should remember same old same old lifeless worthless same old earth the sand that's where we are don't expect to get life out of it don't find any sustenance or drink in it any such drink is from the lord It is the world. Forty years of wandering, same thing, same thing. The high priest must have been very conscious of this. The people of God, the children of Israel, one would hope, were also conscious of the contrast between the beauty of redemption and the howling desert waste where they moved. There is a An artist, a a long-gone artist, um, J.W. Turner. I don't know if you've ever, uh, in the National Gallery in Ottawa, there is a a Turner seascape. He's famous for his seascapes. It's a a scenic, big scenic picture, uh, painting, uh, but with uh, ships in it and the ocean in it. And um, when his work first came out, one of them was, uh, I think, called Snowstorm at Sea. And uh, the critics hated it. I don't know anything about art, but I do like Turner's seascapes. I'm, I'm an Atlantic Canadian guy, I have a, a, a love and an interest in, the, in things of the ocean and of the sea. And when Turner's seascape came out with the storm there, they said, that's crazy. That's entirely chaotic and, and, and completely... Um, Tumultuous beyond, beyond, uh, you know, what we as humans, because in those days, the the measure of art was, how realistic is it? And they said of, of Turner's work, this is beyond, this is too crazy, the storm is too tumultuous in your painting. Turner said, is that so? What I did, my friends, was I strapped myself to the mast of a ship and had it go through a storm. <laughs> I was there. I know something about this. It's at least this tumultuous. So when you hear, perhaps, the high priest or the 70 elders or Moses Speak of things which are unspeakable, unimaginable, as Paul describes in 2 Corinthians, as John describes in Revelation. Things that stretch the imagination to the limit. These things should engender in us fear and worship. We should realize that there is a heavenly reality. There is the holiness of God. Can you grasp it? Can you appreciate it? Wow. Through the Spirit of God, it is possible. And I hope that when you sing, heaven came down and glory filled my soul. That's because the Holy Spirit has given you a taste of the future, of where you will stand in the future. But you know, when you are there, can you think of it? Can you think of this? Revelation 4. It happens again. We are on another plane. Can you imagine what it would be like to be there? The sea of glass like unto crystal is just the beginning. It's as though when you read 4 and 5 of Revelation that it's a minor detail and it's, it's itself impressive. Impressive. I have, uh, I definitely have acrophobia. I haven't always been that way. But I wonder whether that crystal makes you feel as though you are suspended, that there is nothing under your feet. (laughs) There's nothing. Your focus is the one on the throne. We read, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they were created. That chapter begins by God saying to John, come up, come." It's just like the words to Moses, come up and see, come and see. And in a vision, he saw these things. And then in 5, 9 of Revelation, we read of the kind of fellowship that takes place in that place, on that plain, on that crystal. It says they sang a new song. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Is that the worship of your heart? You know, we, uh, we try to sing, all of us try to sing. And I wonder whether, you know, we, we, and, and to varying degrees, to varying degrees, we sing. But even the best singer in the room, whether it's the best singer in the room or the worst singer in the room, you know what's inside of the believer? I wish I could sing. I wish I could really sing. I wish I could sing like 10,000 angels. I wonder whether we will truly grasp in that day how worthy the Lamb is. We will be in glory. We will know his beauty. We will worship together and saying, worthy is the Lamb. Interesting that that Chapter 4 begins with a trumpet. Is it a trumpet to strike fear in the heart? No. It's a trumpet that speaks and says, Come up hither. That's wonderful. From the age of law, from the dispensation of the law, when that trumpet struck fear in the hearts of the children of Israel, On that plane to this future plane where the believer will be the trumpet does not strike fear in the heart the trumpet says come 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 and worship come and sing come and sing like you've never sung before isn't that something to look forward to I trust that that is the testimony of the Holy Spirit in your heart that you know To look forward to that day as has been read this morning we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is I wonder what your vocal cords will be like because that's part of the picture isn't it we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is and we will sing with great volume it's going to sound like 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands cannot be quantified as we sing and worship him. You know, the the issue of standing. You're going to be on that crystal sea. Are you going to have the right to be there? I think a certain amount of gaping will go on. And you will be, yes, allowed to speak there. And yes, you will be fellowshipping there. And you will even be singing there. I hope that is the cause for encouragement and rejoicing for you this morning as you look forward to being with the Lord who saved you, to worship Him and to know Him. On the other hand, if you don't know the Lord, what makes you think you will even be able to have standing? Do you have any standing with God? This is a very sobering thought, a very serious thought. Do you have any standing with God? In fact, outside of Christ, John chapter 3 tells us that our condition, that the verdict from the judge has already been passed. We stand under judgment. That's where we stand, in a condition of judgment. That's a very sobering thing, isn't it? To think of that being, your standing, that's a very sobering thing. I trust that if you know not the Lord this morning, that you will come to him, that you will repent and believe and turn to the one whose blood can wash away your sin and save your soul. Shall we pray? Our Father, we thank you for Uh, the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ we marvel that he came to this earth to this plane that he walked among men that he proved absolutely conclusively that he was the promised Messiah and the Son of God we marvel that he came to die that he came to be crucified on a Roman cross to shed his blood, to have his body broken, and thus to redeem our souls unto you. We rejoice. We thank you that we have so much to look forward to in the Lord Jesus Christ. As we leave this place, may we have in our hearts encouragement and strengthening from your spirit, from your word, to help us in our way in the coming week. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.